This is Sean Six from the Liquid Conversations, and I am here with Sal Abruscato of this band called A Pale Horse Named Death. How are you doing, Sal? Hi, how are you? Nice to be speaking with you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you taking the time because I know that you are a busy person. Not only are you a, uh, a practicing, a touring, a uh, lifelong musician, but you're also a dad, as I am as well. And balancing the two is not easy sometimes, is it? It's, it's extremely difficult and complicated, and balance is exactly the key word. Uh, try to balance, but it's hard uh, transitioning from from, um, you know, when you're in home life, you're in, your head is in home life, but then to transition to gear up to be on stage in front of people and be this other type of, this other persona or this other image. And then when you come home from that and then you have to go back down to a different <laughs> gear right? and become back, jump right in with changing diapers or cleaning up a mess or what have you not, you know, whatever faces parenting or, you know, helping my wife out with all the tons of stuff that's going on with the kids. So it's uh, definitely a special act to be able to, you know, wind down and get back into the groove of things. There's a very uh, kind of a duality kind of experience to it. Cause I like how you said when you're on, you know, when you're on tour, you're, you're out playing music, you're on stage, whatever. And there's always a, certain level of persona that practicing musician or artist kind of takes when they get up in front of an audience. And uh, sometimes it's a little more forced than others. And sometimes it just comes out naturally. But um, yeah, yeah, and you kind of do the same thing with with family life too, regardless of whether or not you're just married or you have, you know, children. If you're like some families where you have every other living relative living under the same roof and you kind of have that kind of dynamic that's going on, you kind of assume a role there too, almost kind of like a persona, like home life, uh, homebody, uh, dad, Sal, and then Sal gets on the stage and he's, uh, you know, the metal maniac kind of guy going in. And that, and that, <laughs> I wouldn't say metal maniac, but <laughs> yeah, being a professional and, and playing the instrument and writing about, you know, um, being in key and then doing your job and, yeah. and, and saying all the right things between the songs and don't forget to mention this and don't forget to say that or, <laughs> you know, little things to promote or say, hey, you know, records out, you know, if you don't have it, you can get it at the merch booth, you know, and things like that too. You have to, re- it's just a whole different ball game and it's a business and it's a performance. Yeah. And it's also an art. Right. All rolled up into one and being a good father and a good husband, which Mind you, I'm certainly not perfect at it. I just, you know, I try the best I can, but, you know, sometimes, you know, we all go off the rails. Of course. We're just, at the end of the day, you know, what matters is, you know, love and, and, and you do the best you can. And so, you know, I don't consider myself a pro, even with, my third daughter, I, it's still a trials and tribulation. My wife, she's amazing at it. Um, amazing mom. Me, you know, because I have this duality. Right. I'm also a gearhead. I'm also an artisan where I do everything with work with my hands. I am I do too. in the house, you know, um, uh, I've got over 20 years like just doing from electrical to plumbing to carpentry. Anything that goes wrong in the house, I'm usually the guy that will fix it. I also know how to weld. I know how yep. to fabricate. I've built motorcycles. I work on cars. I just, in between interviews, couldn't help it because I'm like a drug addict, ran to my garage, and I just picked up this 1969 Dart recently. And nice. 
tearing apart the motor just to go through it and, and like, you know, like just taking all the wearables off and changing everything out, full-blown extra mile tune-up kind of thing. Uh, hoses go out, you know, changing stuff out because it sits for five years even though the motor was rebuilt like six years ago. Right. And and so uh, I, I'm, I want to do it all. And I feel like getting older, uh, you're running out of the time to do it all and the strength and the dexterity to keep up with crazy lifestyles. Right. And uh, so I'm really honored to be able to put out a new record, which leads me all the way around back to the new record. Oh, that's right. We were supposed to talk about music, too. Oh, Jesus. Completely yeah, slipped uh, my mind. You know, it makes me <laughs> proud that I could put out a new record after you know, making fans wait almost six years. That's true. Uh, from the second record, I uh, got tied up. And when Lay My Soul and Waste came out in 2013, that's when our second daughter was born. As I said to you earlier, she was, earlier, she was born disabled. Right. Uh, multiple corneal transplants. She was born blind. She she doesn't, she's in a wheelchair. She's had bilateral osteotomies and, and operations out the wazoo. And for a little kid, she's been through more anesthesia than, I mean, literally 35, 40 times she's been put under. So, it's that took a turn where you know that's what was one of the things that made me slow down as far as uh, I had to kind of focus on that and be there for everybody the best I could Uh, it meant at that time watching my first born daughter while my wife was running to you know the hospitals and surgeries and I had to take care of the older one which was only two years difference so she was like two years old you know when our second daughter Josephine was born so you want to talk about life I got life for you you know I like anyone people go through a lot of crap so it's, it's, you know, I consider myself fortunate that I get to have fans and people that like the music and are willing to actually come out and watch it, watch me play and do my thing and, and the band do its thing. Uh, I didn't know if I was going to come back for a while uh, and I was busy, tied up with other bands and doing other records. And so it was, it was, it took some, everything happens for a reason though, because it grew that is for true. four years. The concept of the record has been, you know, the title I've had since 2014 and I had sketches from that had started back then. So the record was in the works in my mind as far as, you know, I was always referring to my rough stuff on my iPod. Right. It's interesting when you, when you think about the title, you know, when the world becomes undone, I really like the thing that you said, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, there is a place and time for things to happen. Uh, it might seem uh, unbelievably dark and, and horrible, and it's a struggle, and you're just sitting there pulling your hair out going, why is this happening to me? And it ends up leading you in a different path. It's, it's, I have a, a tattoo on my arm. It says, in life there is pain, and in pain there is pleasure. And it's always kind of been like that for me as well. It's, uh, you know, you go through a tremendous amount of struggle, but as an artist, uh, off mic, I was saying that, you know, I spent some time in Italy studying art when I was a much younger person. And there was something about, you know, that experience about trying to get that feeling, that urge out of you, whether it be a positive urge or a negative urge. Uh, I had an art instructor when I was in school that said, you can't truly create art if you don't suffer. And I never understood that for a long time. And I think as I became an uh, an older adult and had, you know, a life and children and so on and so forth. You have to live life. Yeah. To understand it. You really do. And you, you know, it seems like every musical project that you've been in involved with, you've had a small level or even large levels of 
a traumatic incident that's happened. Obviously, you've spent time with Typo, uh, time with Life of Agony. Both of those bands have had some very traumatic things that have happened. Um, Those things can definitely shape a person. And for you, I guess, coming out of a a, a break, if you want to call it that, are you going back and focusing more on your family because that's what you had to do? You you know, you want to be a good father, you want to be a good man, you want to be a good person and kind of reestablish where you are. With a pale horse named Death, you kind of said, okay, well, I'm just going to put this on the back burner for a second. But when you came back, you know, Sal, you had more ammunition to put into an album than most people could ever possibly imagine. Very true. Uh, I've said that in interviews that you, I feel like this pressure that bands have that they need to deliver like a new album. See, in this day and age, it's almost, geez, I almost say you need to put out a new album every eight months. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like that. Now. Yeah. Oh, I was just in New York during the tour, and the label was talking to me about trying to get a 7-inch out before I come back in end of October to Europe. <laughs> and so I just got dealt like this like, plate of, like, now we're supposed to do something. And my point being is, is I think when you rush to try to get that next record out in a year, sometimes it's great for the fan that they get to get a, to get a new record, but right. the, the, the question is the substance and the quality. You have to live life for things to happen. Right. Sometimes things don't happen in two days. You know, like sometimes it takes two years for uh, experiences or knowing people that have gone through experiences. But things just happen, you know, that you retain in your mind and become some kind of influence of some sort on the subject matter and how the words roll out of your mouth with lyrically, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it was a blessing in disguise that even though I was because I had done that with Lay My Soul to Waste. Like, we did And Hell Will Follow Me. And then we did uh, two European tours and then just some, like, local U.S. stuff, not even a U.S. tour. Right. And there was the pressure of, okay, take the record. And I had a jump on it, but I still felt like had I had a little more time, I could have actually probably had fine-tuned some songs even better. And it always happens like that when you're an artist. Of course. But the fact that I actually sat on sketches from 2014 and just kind of listened to them on my iPod when I was on tour with actually Life of Agony, that was the other reason why it was a hiatus. I got, you know, I'll only mention one thing about them, and that was I was involved in doing that record right. that they put out, and I wrote material on that record, and that sucked like two years of my life right. uh, dealing with that. Because it takes a long time to make a record. It does. So when I finished that whole cycle, I then decided I was I need to do another record. I'm getting letters from fans saying, "What are you doing? You know, we need another APH and D record. You want to a really cool thing? You actually carry it on some form or another of some type of root sound of 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 this Brooklyn thing." Right. Uh, that was the root core of uh, uh, many nostalgic bands. So that's kind of like my take on it, Sean. You know, I I think a lot of people, you're 100% correct, and you think now because of the way society is and, and you know, obviously social media and electronic devices and stuff like that, our life becomes, you know, moments in time that are very abbreviated. We think in terms of minutes, not in terms of months. And I think if you're, uh, you know, you and I are the, are the same age, so obviously we have, we were brought up in a different era. We understand yeah, you, this. You, 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 you saw the arrival of computers. Yeah. You know, you saw the arrival of 
smartphones. Right. These kids, these millennials, and these kids, if anybody after that, are born into this stuff. They're just right. born. Like, they just thought it was always there. Right. They and didn't it, know what a rotary phone was. <laughs> they didn't know that you needed to know how to read a map to get across the country. Right. I started touring in 91. We didn't have nothing. We had a map. And we had an atlas. Yeah, a payphone at a truck stop. Yeah. That was our way of calling home once in a while. Very different ball game, but I think it also made us smarter because we have skills that these new kids aren't learning, unfortunately. Correct. I, I fear our golden years when these people are running stuff. It's already happening. It's, it's so. Um, shit's upside down as far as I'm concerned. It's upside down. It's interesting on how that reflects in stuff like what we're talking about, the artistic stuff that we do as humans, art, uh, whether it be music or painting or sculpture or what have you, things start to become a a lot more fast-paced, a lot more abbreviated, uh, you know, things are disposable now. And when we see the when we see this music come out and, you know, people are pushing saying, you know, hey, I want you to put out an album or a new song or a single as quick as it takes for me to download it. And it just doesn't really happen that way if you want something that's worth listening to. And I hate to be the old man sitting on the porch, you know, hollering, saying, get off my lawn kind of stuff. I don't want to be that kind of grumpy representation of it. But there is a certain truth to the fact that when it took years to make an album and you had to wait in line at a store to buy a you know, a big gigantic piece of vinyl, there was something to it. And it seems like a lot of those iconic rock songs or those bands in general, they never seem to go away. You know, you look at some, you know, band like say the Rolling Stones or the Who or Zeppelin or stuff like that. We're going to listen to those. We've been listening to that stuff for 50 years, it seems, you know, and we don't have that same experience with music now. So for you making music and taking time and reflecting on your life and taking that energy, uh, whether it be negative or positive, that you've absorbed and putting this into, you know, this new album, When the World Becomes Undone, maybe to a certain extent, some of that might be lost on certain people in the current generation because they don't understand how it got to where it is. They just hear the finished product. Right. It's sad. It, <laughs> and I don't mean to, you know, take the mood down to like, oh, you know, great. Not but, at all. But that's... that's, that's 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 not a no. It's just sad. It's but I've 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 had this view for so long. I can't even remember what it, it just it just uh, you know once 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 it, I don't know. It just once this music became so easily like you said disposable. Yeah. That people don't even buy albums anymore. They just buy a ninety nine cent song. Right. And so the artists, you got all this nonsense. Uh, Spotify, uh, you know, all this this streaming. People pay a subscription and they can hear whatever they want. But the problem is, is nobody's paying the band. <laughs> no, you they're know? not. <laughs> they're not. And it's it. You know, it's kind of interesting because you know uh, we have the we have the podcast on Spotify, and I had a, a friend of mine that's not involved in music, asked me a question, said, so do you receive any revenue? Are you making any money off of that being on Spotify? And I just kind of looked at him like I was the deer caught in the headlights. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, even the artists, even the, you know, the people that are, are playing songs, uh, very few of them make well, you know, any serious revenue. You know revenue. the Peter Frampton story, right? Yes. With with that. Yes. I mean, guys only got 1700 bucks for like 17 million <laughs> 
whatever it is. It's craziness. It really <laughs> it's ridiculous. is. Ridiculous. Peter Frampton. I mean. So when you're looking at this as a person that came up out of that, you know, that like you were talking about earlier, the Brooklyn flair to the music and that attitude and the feeling behind it and kind of, you know, upholding that tradition of that style of music from where, you know, you played and cut your teeth and grew up. Do you feel now that it's almost kind of like it's your, it's almost like your responsibility to keep that feeling and this uh, root core of what music should be alive do you do you, is that is that in the back of your head while you're creating or while you're performing honestly it doesn't feel like a responsibility because it's just a natural i mean we all were cut from the same cloth we all like the same music and we're all heavily influenced by the same stuff and in fact like back in the day you know back when we were first started at typo well at that time it was we had so many names. I don't know what it was. Repulsion or from Sub Zero. We would trade music. You know, we'd go out every Friday night. Usually the four of us, but it was always me, Peter, and Kenny. Right. Go out to the city and we can go to these like new wave places and, and, and golf bars and stuff. So like being Black Sabbath, you know. Beatles fans, you know, Led Zeppelin, that whole that whole vibe. We were also enthralled by the new wave stuff that was coming out from right. the late '80s into the '90s, and you know, like Sisters Sisters of Mercy, Floodlands was like that was like a huge record, you know, and, and, and Peter loved that record. And right. He, and you, you know, it, it, once he heard that, I forgot his name, but you know, those types of vocals, he 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 gravitated to it because. Prior to that, he was singing more of an aggro type of vocal, you know, right. from, like on the first record. Um, and from the Carnivore era, which the first record was kind of like a lot of like material that would have was intended for a third Carnivore right. album. Um, long story short, we cut from the same cloth, we like the same stuff. Uh, you know, it, it just doesn't feel like any kind of, it's just natural. If I riff, if I just start, like, we jam, like, this one thing that's great about this band is that at a drop of a hat, this is how you know you have good musicians. Right. At a drop of a hat, we can just jam on a riff idea and just just go off. Just have a good time when we're sound checking. Sometimes we'll go into outer space for a minute. Right. And it's always, you know, like, it just... All that kind of stuff that just falls out of, you know, it just, it's not a responsibility. I think I'm just carrying uh, the roots of what made uh, so many, made such an epic sound come from that area of the country in the early 90s. And I grew up in it. I was in the thick of it. I was in my young, early 20s. And, you know, I was a sponge. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a really good way to put it. And, and and there's the parent coming out right there, too. You think of your children as sponges. They're little tiny yep. sponges. They suck up everything around them, good and bad. When you hear your yep. kid, when you hear your, your toddler curse for the first time and you're like, <laughs> where did where did they learn that? Well, of course yeah, they heard right. it from somebody at home. I mean, come on, you know when yeah. like you're like you're talking about you being a gearhead. You're you know you're in a garage. 
garage and you're, you know, banging on something or whatever and miss and hit your hand, uh, I'm yeah, sure, yeah. I'm sure there's a couple of words <laughs> that come out and, uh, your, your sponge that's sitting there is listening to every last bit of that. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's great hearing that because I like the fact that what you're doing now is you're going through a tremendous cathartic experience with music in general. Um, but I mean, if you want to look at it currently, you want to look at, you know, the band right now, Pale Horse Named Death and the new album, you know, When the World Becomes Undone, this is cathartic as all get out. You're working through an entire life. It's an extension of you. And like you said, you're just doing what feels natural to you and Obviously, the other members of the band are doing the exact same thing, and I applaud you for doing that because it seems, as we both know in the music industry right now, everything is exceptionally plastic, everything is exceptionally crafted, and we feel like it's just become more of a machine than it was that we knew to begin with. But you guys are you guys are doing something that's completely organic, and and I applaud you for that. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. You know. What now that you're you're doing this and, and you're and you're back in the thick of it and you know you're working through <laughs> working through life's uh, musical therapy here, uh, what's what's next for you guys? Obviously, you got, you're going to play some shows. I know. Yeah, we have uh, Northeast coming up where we go into Canada. We haven't been to Canada once throughout the band's existence. Okay. Turns out we have some fans up there, and we were doing really, really good on their radio national loud Canadian charts. Okay. And we had climbed up to number four just a few weeks ago while we were in Europe. And so it's good that we're finally getting to go up there. Uh, we're we're do, actually doing Toronto and Quebec City, uh, Ottawa, Montreal. Okay. So I'm looking forward to... Uh, doing that and bringing the band up there and it's uh that's what we have planned and then it's like northeast stuff just to work our way up there right new jersey new york gypsy i think uh, i think you have like one show in connecticut or something like that i think it's yeah like, we're gonna play this uh stoner new england stoner and doom festival right um really curious to see how like what that's all about but uh i've been you've been gravitating yeah, a lot of people, I don't like labels, but you know, a lot of people see the polls, you know, do me. And uh, I think to, I've recently got into a couple of bands in the last couple of years that I really like that are part of that doom genre. And I kind of am gravitating to that because it's right up my alley to go even more extreme with right. maybe some ideas and some songs down the road. Um, and we've done stuff like that recently live on Europe where we would like, we take the end of cracks in the wall and we we do this huge jam extension and then we slow it down to the point where it's just you can't even comprehend it. the notes are so spaced out and we, we just we just the crowd loves it though when we when we finally end it's just it's a cool experience and uh, it's right up our alley so we're gonna do that and then I think we're gonna have a little time off till August we're gonna do another small U.S. chunk, and then we're looking at the end of October to be in Europe for three weeks where tentatively on Halloween we, we might be in Dublin. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, and we'll do some 
places that we didn't do on this last run, like Poland and uh, northern UK, Scotland, Ireland, uh, some more UK dates. We're going to do uh, this Damnation Festival in Leeds, and it looks like uh, yeah, it's all in the works. And then we'll go from there. You know, that's what's brewing. Uh, we're, we're trying to. We got this possibility of working on our the label wants us to do, like I said, uh, a seven-inch two covers. So we we worked on that idea while we were in Europe, and we're we're trying to focus on getting that maybe delivered in time to be to work out for when we're in your back in Europe. Nice. And that's what we got, you know, and, and my head's always rolling with everything else because there's balance. We need balance with family, kids, responsibilities, house, you know, upgrades, work, yard, <laughs> you know. I have I have three acres, so I have a lot to do. Here. You have a lot to that's take care of, yeah. Good. But I'm actually getting a, uh, I'm doing, a, for the first time in the 10 years I'm here, it's like starting to get like a little too out of control in some areas. And I'm getting a, a little landscaper tree guy that cut my trees a few years ago. They're going to clean up the whole property and get rid of all the dead wood and chip up all the dead trees around the perimeter and just clean up. It's nice. beyond my, my abilities of, of a one-man army. I used to be more of a one-man army, but these days I'm a little bit... Uh, ever since you know, I broke my clavicle two years ago. Okay. I did that? Oh man, I haven't been the same, and I'll never be the same again. So it's it's a little bit, you know, uh, it's just. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, you just, you just, you want to pace it more a little bit because, especially to, you know, I'm leaving in, in a week and a half, so I'm just wrapping things up and doing all this radio stuff for a couple of days. And next right. week, we're doing some acoustic performances, and we did that yesterday. Nice. At, uh, a radio station. We did uh, uh, two songs. Uh, acoustic a performance that they had. Uh, it was taped for later on airing, right? Which was good because there was one one that we needed to do a retake. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's always so bare bones when you do it acoustic. It's such a different animal. That's you true. Can, like play really loud feedback. You know, really having to belt stuff, and you know when you belt really hard, it's a lot quicker and faster to to find the note sometimes. So right. When you bare bones like that, and you, you know, did everything like a lower octave too, so it was, it was cool. It was cool. It definitely they loved it. So it was it was a nice experience. It was, it was a good experience. Awesome, Sal. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, and best of luck out there on the road. Thank you, Sean. The Liquid Conversations podcast is brought to you by Dirtbag Clothing. Wear it till it stinks.